You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. First of all, neighbors, I'd like to make a special shout-out to HelloFresh for supporting the Paracast. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. You know, before we start an episode of the Paracast, we sometimes have a little chat with our guests, or Chris and I talk about things. And we mentioned here about the fact that sometimes people make extraneous noises like moving papers around or moving microphones. Like that, you see? And then Chris started typing. Now, Chris has a keyboard for his Mac with the loudest computer sound, the loudest keyboard sound that I've ever heard because it's a keyboard, one of these old-fashioned mechanical keyboards that he liked the sound so much, I said, yes, you can have it. I have something called an Apple Magic Keyboard that makes really practically no sound. But Kevin Randall was telling us that maybe we should all switch back to typewriters like Jim Mosley used to do. Is that what you want to do, Kevin? No. Typewriters don't have um, spell check. Well, they have these electronic typewriters that kind of allow you to correct things in certain ways. But that, was, that wasn't even what Jim had. He had a SCM electric typewriter, and he'd buy several, so when he wears out one, he'd have one left. Yes, but that's 20th century. We're, I've moved into the 21st century. I have an all-in-one computer for, with a huge, massive monitor thing on it and a quiet keyboard. So I've moved into the 21st century. Well, Chris and I have that too. It's called 27-inch iMac. Uh, mine's 32 inches. <laughs> it's going to be one up on this show. Before we get started and talk about your new book, on the Sakaro episode, Encounter in the Desert. You see, folks, it's not going to be about Roswell. You had some fascinating comments we should bring up about that former rock star, Tom DeLong, who I guess feels that he's some kind of expert about the UFO mystery. And he has this fundraising thing that he's going on called To the Stars, which, by the way, is raised as of the last time I checked, like over half a million dollars. And you have to donate a minimum of $200 to get involved. So therefore, I, could, I was going to add 10 cents. Suckers. I was going to put in 10 cents, which is all I could afford. Chris was going to put in a nickel, but we couldn't do it. So Half a million dollars. What a bunch of suckers. <laughs> what's your take on that, Kevin? Well, I'm ob- obviously doing something wrong. Uh, <laughs> I've spent years and years and years doing UFO research, and... Uh, yeah, the I real can, kind. <laughs> and I can play the keyboard, meaning an organ type thing a little bit. Plays well, uh, the guitar player. I don't know how long he's been doing UFO research, but he clearly is not doing it in the right place. Uh, you look at the things he believes and things he thinks are true. I mean, he's he's saying that the the writing, the writing found at Roswell looked like Greek writing. <laughs> Greek. And he, <laughs> And, and, and he shows this I-beam or this H-beam from the alien autopsy film. And I think everybody in the world except him knows that was a hoax. The guys who made it said it was a hoax. Uh, and, and we're using this as somehow we're going to advance UFO research. I think well, he admitted. Well, wait a minute, Kevin. Yes. Uh, quote, unquote, he's read all the books, so he knows everything. All the books? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> there's like, there's like 10,000 of them. I think he's read all the wrong books. 
he talks about Zachariah and Stitchin. I think some of Zachariah and Stitchin, Stitchin's things were interesting. I'm just not sure how grounded they were in science. Um, but I mean, it's the, the whole thing is just absolutely preposterous. And I look at the one, the one thing that really bugged me, and we were, I was watching the um, YouTube video of him and um, Joe Rogan talking about this whole nonsensical thing. They show this thing that has a star, a sun on it. Uh, I think it's uh, Sumerian. And he says, you know, look, it's got all the planets of the solar system in it. Uh, even Pluto, before Pluto was discovered, Pluto was discovered, they say, sometimes in the 1950s. And somebody finally Googled it for him and, and realized it was 1930. Yeah. But, right they've but they've labeled them all. And it's not only the, the planets, the major planets in the solar system, but the dwarf planets as well. Some of them that... Uh, I haven't were only discovered in the last few years. Uh, Maki Maki, for example, or uh, uh, the dwarf planets out in the in the Kuiper Belt. But there's nothing on that Sumerian. I, I think it's some kind of a stamp, Sumerian stamp that labels them as planets or the, even as part of the solar system. They have extrapolated from well, this thing's got uh, a circle around it with rays looking like the sun, and here's the solar system, and here are all the planets. Um, it's just utter nonsense, and I don't know why anybody would accept that. And this guy's raised a half a million dollars. I should put a donut, a donut, a donate thing on my uh, blog and see if I can raise some money. Well, listen, we've all done it. Go ahead, give it a try. You deserve donations. Uh, you know, I just don't really want to do that. I wanted it to be kind of uh, free of monetary incentive, I suppose, and and. That kind of frees me up to take unpopular positions, which I frequently do, because uh, I don't want to, you know, so I'm not offend, afraid of offending any donors that way, I suppose. I just think it's uh, a better way to operate. I just really don't want to put a donut, donut, oh, good Lord. Someday I'm going to learn how to speak the English language, a donut tab or link on the uh, on the blog. Maybe it's just I'm too lazy to deal with the, uh, with all the, the uh, computer things I'd have to do to make that work. The HTML code. <laughs> that and uh, I'd have to get a uh, PayPal uh, account and all of that other nonsense. Oh, it's simple. It's simple to do. You could do it in a half hour. I don't not care. To. I don't care to. Let's not worry about it. If he doesn't want to, we won't force him. <laughs> if he ever decides, you know what? What the heck? I'll try it. And if people send me donations and then I piss them off and they say, you know what? We want our donations back. Then I'll give it up. Seriously speaking here, is Tom DeLong, in your view, a sincere goofball? Or is he just trying to fleece money from people? What's his goal? Is it because he hasn't sold a lot of records lately? I, I think he's sincere. I think he truly believes what he's saying. He's just not done the proper research to understand where all the pitfalls are. I mean, things that he is saying, I think most of us have rejected years and years ago. And I, I go back to the alien autopsy nonsense. I mean, the guys that created it came out and said, yeah, we created it. Here's what we did. And uh, they're still holding that up as some kind of, well, this proves the uh, Greek connection to the Roswell crash or something. Uh, I, I think he's sincere in what he believes. And I think he's making a sincere attempt. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I I guess I hearken back to the MUFON Symposium this year where they did the secret space program and they brought in these guys who were claiming, yeah, we're, we're time travelers and we fought wars on Mars and we were involved in that for 20 years and all of that nonsense. 
and people were buying it. So uh, the tapping into that subculture of people who don't seem to care if it's true or not, as long as it's entertaining, I suppose. Well, I think it harkens to, to something that, that myself uh, and, and others have been noticing and, and uh, been a little concerned about uh, over the past, well, definitely five or six years, but, but you know, going back 10, 12 years, and that is we're seeing uh, the new age kind of aspect of ufology, the, the, the true believers um, are really, they're starting to resemble a religious movement. And it's huge, and it's gaining steam, and people have totally thrown, uh, you know, their their belief, uh, their their rational belief out the window, and they've they've totally, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think people are just in in this in this la la land of the complete suspension of disbelief, and um, and it's fulfilling some sort of quasi religious. Uh, I don't know, sort of angst in their in their psyches or something. Uh, what do you think? Let's wait till our next segment to get the answer to that. Except I'll say I think that's happened in the past, that we've had true believers going on to things, but we didn't think a serious UFO organization would be catering to that. We've got more to come. With Kevin Randall and his new book, His Encounter in the Desert, we'll get to that in a moment. With Gene and Chris, you're in... The Paracast. <laughs> We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive PowerCast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the PowerCast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a PowerCast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with reputationdefender.com. What the internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with reputationdefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. 
This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com, just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com. It's been said, any society is only three missed meals away from chaos. Those times may be near. Think about it. Our country faces multiple terrorist threats and aggressions from Russia and North Korea. Social unrest and violent marches yet again may lead to looting of stores and city shutdowns. And our crumbling infrastructure leaves our power grid vulnerable to long-term outages from a single cyber attack. When the chaos from any one of these threats arises, the government knows it can't provide during a widespread national emergency. That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in. Get a four-week survival food supply for only $99. That includes breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Order online at preparewithgcn.com. $99 for four weeks of survival food that tastes like homemade cooking and lasts up to 25 years from My Patriot Supply. Get your kits today at preparewithgcn.com. Free shipping is included. Preparewithgcn.com. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We've had some terrific episodes lately of After the Paracast, by the way, available only to subscribers of the Paracast Plus. We've had, for example, a continuation of our interview with Dr. John B. Alexander, and last week we talked to him about reincarnation in After the Paracast. A lot of special things going on. You never know what's going to happen next, and we don't either. That's what makes it so much fun. In order to get After the Paracast, you have to subscribe to the Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com. That's where you get the info. Plus.theparacast.com, low subscription rates. You also get a version of the show free of the network ads. So Kevin Randall wrote a book called Encounter the Desert about the Sicaro, New Mexico case. We're going to get to that in a moment. Lots of questions about that. It's a fascinating book. But we were talking about the true believers, the rise of the true believers in UFO research. And we're seeing here that MUFON is catering to that. And what I was going to mention before Kevin answers Chris's question is we tried to get Jan Harzan of MUFON to come on the Paracast. And so far, He's only had excuses. You had the response to Chris's comments, Kevin? I was going to say that I thought that the religious aspects of ufology have been around almost from the very beginning. And you take a look at the earlier contactee cases, and I'm thinking of uh, George Van Tassel and George Adamski. There was always a religious aspect to it. Sure. 
And I think that uh, you look at some of the, um, there were UFO organizations that were devoted to the contactees. You look at some of the earlier scientific organizations, APRO and NICAP. Uh, NICAP, I think, main function was to get the government to investigate UFOs seriously and get congressional hearings. And APRO's um, mission seemed to be gather UFO information and UFO data and share it with the membership. But there's always been this religious aspect to it from the very beginning. I think it's, I guess with the rise of the internet, that becomes a more, to, to people like me who look at uh, UFO cases and that thing, we, we come in contact with it more than we had in the past simply because we kind of ignored the contactees and the religious aspect. Well, it's, it'd be like, you, as you pointed out, the internet has brought this from being a, a niche kind of cult movement or, or kind of a conglomeration of movements back in the 50s. Yeah, the followers of Daniel Fry, the followers of, of Adamski, and then later in the 70s, of course, you had the the Raelians and, and others, but but those were always kind of fringe groups that, 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 that were limited in membership. What we're seeing here now is millions of people are buying into the, these absolute fairy tales that are being spun as fact. That, to me, is, is at the very least, troublesome, irritating, and um, a little alarming. I've always been of the opinion that we needed to I guess, infuse the scientific method and scientific research into ufology, and it, it seems to always fall on deaf ears. I tried to suggest, you know, we, got, we need to improve the, the standards by which we review cases and elevate those standards and gather data properly and carefully rather than, I just want to investigate cases where people are being abducted, or I just want to investigate cases of cattle mutilations, or I just want to investigate Roswell to throw me into the mix in, in some fashion, I suppose. But there's always been that. With MUFON moving into that, it's, it's I think, more of a business move on MUFON's part than it is or moving their mission from UFO investigation to, now we're a corporation and our mission is to make money. And that would explain at least partially why we ended up with the um, secret science program, because the, the attitude of the leadership of MUFON, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of one person who you all mentioned earlier, who I don't understand why he wouldn't do your show. He's done mine twice, and I wasn't very nice to him. His attitude, Harzan's attitude was uh, he wanted to bring people into the arena, allow them to listen to these people who are telling these cockamamie stories, and let them decide for themselves whether they believed it or not. And apparently, for the Move On Symposium, that was a successful strategy based solely on the amount of money that was returned right. for the investment. And so that seems to be the driving force of MUFON at the moment is not UFO investigation, but making money for the corporation and keeping the corporation alive. And that really is kind of the, I guess, mission of most corporations. Well, let's make a good product, but let's make a lot of money doing it. Uh, so I think MUFON's moved into that. The exception here, Kevin, is they're not making a good product. They're presenting nonsense and being delighted over the fact that they make money from it. They make money from something. What about the Hangar One TV show, which is also... Uh, complete nonsense. And I guess and, they're making, what, a license fee to support that well, show? They're, they're making money off that, but according to what Harzan told me, that it did bring membership into MUFON. It and only lasted two seasons. But it still brought membership in, and once you've got them hooked, then, of course, it's up to them to keep you hooked and sending the money. I'm astonished at the amount of money it costs to belong to MUFON at this point in time. I, I remember um, APRA was charging like $5 a year to be 
a member of APRO and you got the bulletin in the beginning, you got it on a regular basis. Toward the end, with, with uh, Lorenzo's becoming ill, it became very sporadic. But that's that's nothing bad about the Lorenzo's. They became ill and they had trouble doing it. But Mufon's attitude was, you know, does describe to the journal cost you sixty dollars a year or something like that? And and then there's always these other levels of donation. If you if you give them five thousand dollars a year, you can be in their inner circle and get all these other benefits so it's it's clearly become a cash cow as opposed to doing research my impression is based on my conversations with various people is that's okay as long as we have the money's coming in and we can do these other things even if we don't do them as well as we could you know it, a corporation's uh, sole purpose is to uh, survive and to uh, flourish and to become larger and become uh you know, more and more viable to its membership. And hearkening back to your comment about uh, specialization in in, uh, <laughs> in particular aspects of uh, the so-called paranormal, I hope you don't think all I do is run around looking at dead cows, there, Kevin. No, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that there are people who specialize in that sort of thing. But I've looked yeah. at dead cows too. You know. Yeah, you uh, did actually I, uh, I, forty plus years ago. It, I, it didn't I, take long for you to not think that that was a, a good um, I, I don't know uh, allocation of time there were there were other things of the UFO phenomenon that that interested me more I could spend you know my whole time trying to debunk MJ12 for example which is going right. to offend a lot of people I don't think MG12 but I know an awful lot about that and, and and I've spent the last several months looking into the Billy Meyer nonsense all because I made an innocuous comment on my blog <laughs> uh, about not believing Billy Meyer and Michael no. Horn went nuts. Michael Horn <laughs> went absolutely. I'm thinking, I just said I don't believe it, which indicates to me if you have evidence and you can present that evidence in a rational form and it's believable evidence, I'm going to change my mind. Uh, and, and the best example I have is the guys claiming to be Vietnam veterans. At this point, knowing how many people are faking that, which really annoys me as a Vietnam veteran myself. If you tell me you're a Vietnam veteran, I probably don't believe you right now thinking about all the fakers out there. But if you have the proper documentation, if you want to see if I was a Vietnam veteran, go to the 187th Assault Helicopter Company website. And you'll find my picture on it as one of the, the helicopter pilots from that era. But the point simply is I don't believe these people until they prove it to me. It doesn't mean they're lying. It just means I want to see some evidence. We're going to have a lot more to come with Kevin Randall. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. It's a no-brainer. A Big Berkey water filter is the one you need, period. You need a water filter that removes chlorine, fluoride, pharmaceuticals, BPA, and other endocrine disruptors, pesticides, bacteria, viruses, and much more, right? And does it all at only two cents per gallon. Get the original and most trusted name in gravity water filtration, Big Berkey. And now GCN listeners receive 5% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN. Call or click 1-877-99-BERKEY or BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. 
This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com. Just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com. Have you checked your ECS lately? We have. We are New Pharma, scientists who specialize in human functions controlled by the endocannabinoid system, or ECS. Let me simplify. Your ECS is involved in physiological processes like appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and immune systems. New Pharma's patent-pending science is the big difference in our natural solutions, formulated for your well-being. For example, our foundation product provides targeted nutrition to support a healthy endocannabinoid system, which is directly responsible for managing and controlling inflammation. This product contains turmeric, which is known as one of the best anti-inflammatories on the planet. Our Allergies product contains sage, which is a very effective decongestant. See all of our amazing capsules, essential oils, and ECS herbal teas at gnuphama.com. New Pharma. Your path to wellness begins here. Does the current world crisis in North Korea or our domestic crisis right here in America concern you? Well, I know it concerns me. My friends over at Legacy Food Storage have solutions in the event there's the inevitable. What's the inevitable? Civil unrest, a run on your local grocery store. And here's my question to you. If this happens, how do you feed your children? How do you feed your grandchildren? Legacy Food Storage has the solutions. In fact, they can help you implement a simple plan to take care of your needs in the event of the inevitable. By calling them right now, I have authorized them to give you a special 20% discount at checkout by simply using GCN. Call 888-543-7345 or visit them at LegacyFoodStorage.com. That's 888-543-7345 or visiting them at LegacyFoodStorage.com. Make sure you use GCN at checkout for an incredible 20% discount. Don't be a victim. Take control of your life now. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, Hey, try this. Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2979-855-700-2979-855-700-2979. That's 855-700-2979. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So we're about ready here 
to pick up a copy, I have the virtual copy, I don't have the physical copy, of Encounter in the Desert. Somehow, Chris got his copy, and mine must have gone by Pony Express or something. Or one of our enemies, you know, grabbed a copy. I have no idea. But we live in an apartment complex here, so anything is possible. So, Kevin Randall, in recent years, you've been going back into older cases, kind of as cold cases. Reminds me of the TV show, Cold Case, where you're looking at these cases and getting a sense as to what may or should be changed, if anything, what value they have. And certainly with Roswell in the 21st century, you look at the Roswell case and you decided certain things were not quite as compelling as they used to be. With Roswell in the 21st century, I wanted to look at at it dispassionately and see where we really were with the evidence, because at one point, it seemed like this is the case that had everything that would prove that there's alien visitation. And going back and looking at the number of people who were making up their involvement in the Roswell case and some of the things that went off the rails, I thought it was time to look at it in its totality and see where exactly we stood on it. And that resulted in Roswell in the 21st century. And I tried to document everything so that you don't have to believe what I say in the, in the book, that you can follow the footnotes back to the original sources of the information and determine whether or not you find those sources acceptable. And that's another thing that I think has been missing from ufology is if you write a book about UFOs, and there's a lot of people still doing this sort of thing, and you read a lot of other books about UFOs, you incorporate the mistakes made by the authors you read in your book. And what I tried to do with Rosalind is is go back and look at the original sources and eliminate those mistakes that we all had made as we were writing the story. And, And the best example of that is Frank Kaufman. I mean, I believe Frank Kaufman, and there seemed to be evidence to support what he said, Uh, until around 2000 and we discovered and i should say mark rodiker and don schmidt and um and one other fellow whose name escapes me at the moment and i don't know why oh mark chesney i'm sorry mark chesney uh had been asked by kaufman's widow to make sure that there were no contractual obligations that that uh, frank had uh, signed prior to his death so that there would be no legal ramifications for her. And in going through their office or his office found original documents showed where he had altered his uh, discharge papers so that it looked like he had been trained in intelligence and had been a master sergeant when in fact he'd been trained in administration, had been a staff sergeant. And so I wanted to look at all of those things and go back to those original sources and say, you know, this guy tells a wonderful tale. Unfortunately, we cannot accept it because of this, this, and this. There's no evidence that he was involved in any kind of retrieval operation. He was a civilian at the base at the time and, and they probably wouldn't have brought him in. And I, I think that's one of the things that we need to do in UFO research is take a look at some of the, um, the, the iconic books in ufology. Dick Hall's UFO Evidence, for example. There are errors in that that are not really the fault of Dick Hall, but are the fault of people who were reporting things to him. And, and, and another example of that is there's a case from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that supposedly took place on the 24th of June, 1947, the afternoon that Kenneth Arnold saw his objects at Mount Rainier, or it was published on the 24th of June, which means uh, here's a guy in Iowa who saw dish-shaped objects the same day that Arnold did, and it was reported prior to Arnold's information showing up in the newspaper, so you can't point at Arnold as being the source, which was important to me 
And I tried to trace that back, and it turned out the article, and, and Hall had gotten from Frank Edwards, who cited the Cedar Rapids Gazette as the source, but didn't give any date, uh, a time. It just said, you know, prior to Arnold. And so I went back through the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I found the article. It actually was published three days after Arnold's sighting. The guy wasn't from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He was from Peoria, Illinois. And it clearly was a response to the Arnold sighting. You know, he was saying, well, you know, Arnold had kind of inspired him to go to the police, which doesn't mean the sighting was bogus. It just means it wasn't independent of Arnold in, in the respect that I was looking for, something prior printed prior to Arnold talking about discs. You know, here's a mistake that Dick Hall made because he didn't have the resources to go back to, to look it up. And I happened to have them. I did the same thing with Jerry Clark. He, in 1977, had dismissed the um, Alexander Hamilton 1897 a calf abduction case by a, a great airship and put it all off on a hoax by uh, um, Hamilton as part of a liar's club. And he cited a particular article found in the Kansas City Star, I believe. Well, I went back and I found the article and it said nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with a liar's club. In fact, well, I explained it all in my book. And, um, and I, I felt that, that Jerry had uh, putting a, a, a good spin on it. Jerry had stretched the... Uh, the facts and put his own spin and interpretation on it when in fact there were 12 uh, affidavits attesting to uh, Hamilton's honesty by, by the 12 pillars of the community which which of course Clark never mentioned so instead of the the case you know for 40 years being considered you know a hoax now all of a sudden we reopen the case because there's compelling evidence to suggest that the event really did happen the way that Hamilton and the other two witnesses described. So I would suggest you take a look at Eddie Bullard's book where he found an article and I, and, and you'd have to look at his sources in the Yates County uh, newspaper where mm -hmm. Hamilton admitted it was a hoax. You know, again, I went back, I went back there and it wasn't Hamilton. It was, it was his son claiming that. Ah. Um, yeah. And, and the son, <laughs> the son said this whole thing about the liars club and everything um, may have come from the son who was embarrassed that his dad had, had quit his job two days after the event, which uh, no one ever mentions, that he was the county constable. And uh, because of the furor over his claim, he just, he said, well, I can't help it if nobody believes me. I'm, you know, and since, since I've lost the trust of the, of the locals, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to just quit my job. Um, it, was, it was quite a controversy back then. We found other articles uh, quoting Hamilton at the time, where he again reaffirms um, his uh, his story, and of course again there are the twelve affidavits attesting to his veracity and honesty of one Alexander Hamilton, a state a state senator. So you know, I the only reason why I bring this up is unless you do that kind of back work, you know, looking at sources that are used to make claims about facts, unless you actually do the, your due diligence and go go through this information. You can't just accept everything at face value. And unfortunately, Kevin, there's not there's not enough people out there that are willing to do the extra uh, legwork and that extra digging to really dot the I's and cross the T's. And it's unfortunate. Well, I do something on my blog called Chasing Footnotes, where something sparks an interest in a case. And I, I go to various sources. And I look at the footnotes and I see where they got the information and go to that source, go to that source, try to trace it down to the end to find out exactly what happened. And and uh, sometimes and that was where the Dick Hall thing came back. I was doing a chasing footnotes thing about um, the Cedar Rapids case because the argument from the skeptics had been that 
Arnold didn't see a saucer-shaped craft, which is obviously true, but everybody repeated it, saw the thing saucer, and thought of this shaped craft. So I was looking specifically for reports made prior to uh, Arnold that we could document had been made prior to Arnold about disc-shaped craft. And one of these was this story told by Frank Edwards. And I think he first told it in like 1956. And I think that that was where uh, I think Hall cited that as well. And I was able to get back to where Edwards got the original story. And he was talking about it coming from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And I happened to have access to their files from 1947. There was a, actually two newspapers in Cedar Rapids at the time. And the other was, I think, the Cedar Rapids Republican, but it was a weekly. And I went through both newspapers looking for it. And I finally found the article, but it was published a couple of days after Arnold. So it didn't do me any good because you could still make the argument that the description given by the a witness had been influenced by the other newspaper articles they'd seen. If it had been published on the 24th, that would have been right, That would have been wonderful. noteworthy. That would have been noteworthy, but it was, it was published. You on see the, the same thing with Aztec. Uh, There's no mention of Aztec anywhere prior to, I think, the Scully book. We've got more to come, and we're going to get definitely in the next segment to Sicaro With Gene, Chris, and Kevin, you're in the Paracast. listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. This is Dan Pillett. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpillett.com. Has your body ever gone low blood sugar feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack, focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. 
Anytime, any place, anywhere. Radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems system today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com. Just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Kevin Randall's here. The book is Encounter of the Desert, and Encounter in the Desert covers the Sakaro, New Mexico case. Now, just briefly about Aztec, New Mexico. You talked to him first, and you had an article by Monty Shriver, who lived in Aztec back in 1948, and nothing happened. And he went to his class reunion, and nothing happened. And we had him on After the Paracast. And I like the guy. In fact, I think we were going to have lunch together during one of his visits to Arizona. Really, really nice guy. And I took him totally serious. And that's the other problem with Aztec. It's not just... There's no record before the Scully book. People who live there don't know what happened. I just did a conference with Chuck Wade, who uh, some of our listeners may know uh, is, is convinced that he's found a, a debris field in the plains of St. Augustine and has all this very interesting looking metal um, bits. I, his film festival in Gallup a couple of weekends ago. And I mentioned, uh, you know, Aztec and he says, oh, no, I know somebody that actually saw the convoy and talked to people that were involved. And, oh, it really did happen. And there's all these apocryphal second, third-hand accounts, but you would think something like that would have at least made some sort of local newspaper or be included in somebody's diary or journal or, or, or something. I just don't see it. I think the thing, interesting thing is if you go back to William Steinman's book, uh, UFO Crash at Aztec, and he talks about a guy named Harold Dunning who supposedly had been involved in 
some aspect of the recovery operation. He saw something or he did something, and Steinman goes to talk to him, and Dunning blows him off, says, no, nothing happened. And, and Steinman's conclusion was he'd been gotten to by the CIA or something, because he tells Steinman, no, 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 you know, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. I'm tired of this nonsense. And he's, he's seeing it as part of a cover-up, where the rest of us kind of see it as the guy just doesn't want to talk about this anymore because it didn't happen. Monty Shriver, I, I think, is quite sincere, and he's done a wonderful job of kind of documenting his points of view that uh, people who claim they were there at the time, uh, I think with the El Paso natural gas pipeline, they were supposedly working on the pipeline when the thing crashed, and that was why they happened to be in the area. Um, the El Paso natural gas pipeline didn't exist in there until 1950, for example. There's some interesting stuff like that. And you've got to look at all of that and account for that. And if you, you, you can't get to an original source documenting it in 1948, we know Roswell happened because all the newspapers had it. Doesn't mean it was alien. It just means that something happened there at Roswell. But as Aztecs, there's nothing there to find. I think Monty Shriver points it out very well in the things that he's done. And I've got some stuff on my blog about uh, from Monty Shriver about what he'd seen and how he uh, refutes some of this. So I think the the case for Aztecs is extremely weak, but you know that's that's where we are on some of that stuff. Right. You know, we but, we have to look at all of Socorro, that. The case for Socorro is is quite a bit different. Now we were talking about mistakes made by original research and investigation. I'm sure you combed through um, Socorro Saucer and Pentagon Pantry, which I consider one of the finest books ever written about a single case. Um, what what mistakes or inconsistencies did you find in Ray's book? I wasn't looking for inconsistencies in Ray's book, and he, he looked more at it from his investigative point of view. He was there on scene. I think he's the only person alive today who was there originally. Uh, the Lorenzans were there within hours. They're both right. gone. Hynek's gone. Quintanilla didn't go. Um, Lonnie Zamora was gone eight years uh, ago today. Yes, and uh, the other police officers are gone. Like I said, Heineck is gone. I think Moody is gone. I'm not sure about him. He was the Air Force officer. I don't. I think Holder is gone. He was the Air yeah. Force. Cap I'm sorry, Army captain that was there and that sort of right. thing. But but his book is is about his experiences on scene. And where I would disagree with, for example, the shape of uh, the uh, emblem that Milani reported, um, he says one thing in his book, he says another thing in letters that he wrote in the time frame. So there's a section in, in my book about what symbol did Zamora actually see. And I, you know, I disagree with, with Ray's conclusion that it was an inverted V with three lines through it. I think it's what I call the umbrella symbol, which is kind of an arrowhead with an arc over it and a line across the bottom. And that was what Zamora drew within minutes of the object taking off on a scrap of paper. And we have the scrap of paper with that on it. And he signed it. And, and within hours of the sighting, he's in the police station being interrogated. And I say interrogated, questioned by Holder, who is an army officer brought into this uh, because he was I guess the highest-ranking military guy available, an FBI agent. And well, you do know that, that Holder's son had, had uh, signed an affidavit to uh, James Fox and, and Ray Stanford, yes. assessing the fact that the original symbol was the inverted V with the three lines. Folks, you know, we're going into the weeds here. We're right in the middle of the case. and I think Inside here, baseball. <laughs> very inside baseball. And I think here, what you should do is maybe paint the picture from the beginning. Kevin, what made you want to go back and explore this case 
to review it all over again and see where the data stands today. How'd you get started? Well, well, as you guys know, finding guests for a program is a task. And I had um, written to the public relations officer of MUFON and said, you know, I've got a radio program. I'd like to have uh, some people on there. Uh, Do you have any suggestions? And they said, well, we have Ben Moss and Tony Angiola who have been reinvestigating the Socorro case. And I said, great. I got them on the program, and as we were going through the the case, they said a couple of things to me that just didn't sound right. They said, for example, Lonnie Zamora was not the only witness to this. There were three people uh, who saw the object in the sky before it landed out there, and I'd never heard that. And I, I tried to get some more information from them on that. You know, What's your source for that? Did you check the police records? And I never got a good answer for that, and I think it just kind of got lost in the discussion of the Socorro case. That kind of intrigued me, so I went back to begin looking at the Project Blue Book file on this, and the Project Blue Book has a whole long file, and it talks about how Zamora was chasing a speeder in Socorro, New Mexico on April 24th, 1964, and he heard a loud roar that he thought was maybe a dynamite shack located on the outskirts of town exploding, and he drove over to look to see what had happened there, and as he came up over the rise, he saw this this object sitting on the ground, which he thought was an overturned car, and he started down toward that, and when he got closer, he saw two small figures close to it, and saw that it wasn't an oval, uh, it wasn't an overturned car, but was something else again. And when these uh, figures saw him, they kind of reacted and they they ran around the back of the craft. There was a sound like a hatch closing, and the thing takes off in a roar and lifts off into the sky and disappears. Uh, Zamora immediately calls his friend, Sergeant Chavez, Samuel Chavez, who was a state policeman. And according to the Lorenzen, and this is how far in the weeds we go on this, according to Lorenzen, Chavez happened to be at the police station trying to check a prisoner in or book a book a suspect or something like that. And he turned that duty over to somebody else, and he goes roaring back out to find uh, Lonnie Zamora, what he's seen. And he gets, he gets there, and Zamora's pale. He, he looks like he's seen a ghost. He's very agitated, and Chavez... Uh, questions about that. There is a suggestion, and I think Ray Stanford brings it up himself, that that Chavez may have seen the object in the sky. I don't think he did. I I, th- I think that probably is untrue. Um, but which is not to say Ray was in, reporting things that were wrong. I think the impression he got from Chavez and Zamora is that Chavez may have seen it. The the documentation suggests otherwise. And I'll go with the documentation on that. Uh, so. The thing takes off, and, and in the next few hours, the Captain Richard Holder, who was the uprange commander at White Sands, and if you know New Mexican geography, you know White Sands Missile Range, really the headquarters is down near Alamogordo or south of Alamogordo, but the range stretches literally 50, 60, 100, 150 miles to the north so that Holder's duty station on the White Sands Missile Range, it was actually closer for him to live in Socorro than it would be to Alamogordo. So he's there. An FBI agent gets involved. There's some question of who called who about this, but both of them get called. Both of them go out to the police station. They sit down with Zamora, and they talk to him that evening about what's going on. And the story gets out into the newspapers. The Lorenzans arrive within 48 hours. They're talking about the object and and, uh, what Zamora had seen and looking for other evidence and trying to find out exactly what had happened. So you've got all of that going on. But basically what it is is a police officer reported an object on the ground, reported um, 
illegal aliens, you could say, uh, uh, creatures from another world around the craft. Uh, and it takes off and disappears in the sky rather rapidly. It was in sight for uh, maybe a minute and a half, some more saw for maybe a, a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. Um, but I got involved because I wanted to know about these other witnesses. Because if the, 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 the case always struck me as, well, it's very interesting, but it's single witness. I would like more witnesses. And, and Ben Moss and Tony Angiola was talking about additional witnesses. Let's do our break. And we'll continue the search for other witnesses in Saqqara, New Mexico, with Kevin Randall, Gene, and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug outhouse that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com, virtual care anywhere. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, we're exploring Encounter in the Desert with Kevin Randall. He's taking a look at the case, a new look. And the thing that got him going here is he wanted to see in his investigation after talking to these two people who were giving the case a new look, whether or not there were other witnesses, which makes the case far more compelling. And then later on, we can talk about the possible hoax theories that were bandied about from as far back as Philip Klass and more recently some other people. So let's get back to that. 
quick comment. How about Opal Grinder and the story of the of the the carload of folks that uh, evidently were were coming down the other way uh, down the highway from Zamora, and they saw the thing uh, leave and mentioned it. I think was it Opal Grinder? Was he the gas station owner? It's been uh, so long. He was. I think he was the manager. I don't think he was the owner. But but his story isn't quite as important, and here's why. So we're talking about three witnesses who allegedly called the police station. And I wanted to find out who these witnesses were. Did somebody call the police station? So I've, I've now brought the people into the case. We got Richard Holder there, Captain Holder. We've got the FBI agent Burns there. They're talking to Zamora. Holder writes a report that very night within hours of the sighting. Uh, he may have written it at 2 o'clock in the morning. I think he may have transmitted it to the Pentagon at 2 o'clock in the morning. In this report, he says there were three people who called the police station prior to Zamora calling in with the with the traffic accident, what he thought was a traffic accident. They call, called into the police station prior to that. Holder mentions that in his report and that they'd seen a flame in the sky or an object in the sky. Now we got three additional witnesses and we've got it corroborated that very night. I am absolutely stunned that nobody, Holder, Burns, the Lorenzans, Hynek, Moody, Ray Stanford, nobody tried to find those people. And it wouldn't have been hard to find them because obviously they lived in Socorro. Obviously, they knew the path the object had taken getting to that point, the arroyo where it landed and take off. You could have found those people if you had to knock on doors. There couldn't have been that many doors to knock on. And that would have been a stunning bit of corroborative evidence. The only thing we have now is Holder's report saying, yes, people called in. Nobody bothered to get the names. Nobody bothered to get any information. Nobody bothered trying to find them. But it's an interesting bit of corroboration. You get to Opal Grinder. He's merely talking about some people possibly from Colorado. And I say possibly from Colorado because they, they seem to think they were tourists heading home to Colorado at the time who stopped by his gas station and talked about it. There's another story of, of people at a separate gas station may have seen the same thing. I was never able to get it clear whether Somebody had misinterpreted the Opal Grinder story and put it in a different gas station because the owner of the other gas station happened to still be alive. But we were able, able to get that connection made, which would have been a wonderful bit of corroboration. But it all was sparked by uh, Ben Moss and Tony Angiola telling me about these three witnesses who had seen the object in the sky. I was able to verify there were three witnesses. The the, the documentation is there to support, support that. What nobody bothered to do was get their names and addresses, which would have been great in 1964. So the case moves a little bit better. You can, if you want to raise the bar on evidence and say, yeah, well, you don't know who they are. You don't know exactly what they said. But I can document that they did call the police station because in the report holder made within hours of Zamora returning to the police station, he puts it in a report that went to the Pentagon and eventually to uh, Project Blue Book. And, the, and the, the report is about a half a page, single spaced, and it's, it's in the Project Blue Book files. Did you ever ask Ray Stanford why he didn't follow up this extra witness stuff more carefully? Well, if you read his book, and I know you have. <laughs> that you yeah, like up, many years ago. He was with um, Woody, I keep wanting to say Woody Stroud. The guy was a reporter for a the radio station in Socorro, I believe, and he had interviewed Heineck and a number of people. And Ray met him at a restaurant for dinner one night within days of this happening. While he was in the restaurant, the, the reporter introduced him to two women who'd seen the thing. 
And I asked Ray about that, and he could. He said, "I don't know who they were. I don't remember who they were." And I wondered if they were in his notes. And he said uh, he he didn't know for sure, and he couldn't look at. It. I said, "Well, it would be interesting to see if we could find them." And he said, "Well, they they were middle aged at the time, so they're probably long gone." And I figured that as well. But I'm thinking if we could have gotten the names, we might have found out where they lived, and we might have been able to track down some other people from that neighborhood who were alive at the time, teenagers, uh, people in their 20s. We might have been able to find some witnesses, even though we're now over 50 years ago. We might have been able to find some additional witnesses, but uh, Ray was unable to help me on that. I don't know why nobody followed up on those three three people who'd called the police station. I, I, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted at that. Looking at the Air Force file on this, it seemed that they were attempting to do a legitimate investigation. They were trying to get to the bottom of this. And you've got an FBI guy who's trained in, in investigation. You've got an, air, an Army officer whose duties clearly aren't uh, in that arena, but he's doing the investigation and sending reports to the Pentagon. You've got the official Air Force investigator on there, Sergeant Moody. He's in the area. And you've got G. Allen Hynek. They know that these people are out there and none of them bothered trying to find them. And I'm just absolutely flabbergasted that nobody, even the Lorenzans, who were very good at that sort of thing, didn't try the, try to find these three people. And the Lorenzans had talked to Holder. You've got statements by Holder and Burns in the April Bulletin for May of 1964. I mean, this is within weeks of the landing uh, that they published this information. So they clearly talked to Holder. They clearly talked to Burns. They clearly talked to Zamora. But nobody tried to find these people. The, the Colorado tourists, there was almost no chance of finding them because you really don't know if they were really from Colorado. They may have may, may have been. I think they, they said the license plate may have been from Colorado. They weren't sure where they were from. So, I mean, that would be very difficult to find. I lived in Colorado in 1964. I was growing up in Colorado in 1964. And it wasn't me or my family, I can tell you that. But, but the... Um, other witnesses, the ones that called the police station, they should have been easily found. I, I, I can't see it taking more than an afternoon to find those people. And nobody bothered to try to do that. Well, let's get past that because obviously we can't do anything about it now. We have to live with what we can find. Going through the case, and obviously we have that those symbols or whatever they are that we're looking at. And there's been discussion about that. Did you find anything in terms of basic details of the sighting that turned out not to be correct or needed to be changed? Little things, little things um, that could easily get lost in the translation of, of, of the events. If you go back to the Air Force file, and, and you mentioned the symbols, uh, the Air Force file is filled with uh, the symbols, of, two of them signed by Lonnie Zamora of what he saw. Uh, being somewhat different than the the inverted V with the three lines through it. There are uh, very, they're actually in the official file, there's no real witness, uh, wit, uh, I'm sorry, no documentation for the um, inverted V with the three lines through it. The best we come up with in September of 1964, Hynek had sent a letter 
and I forget who he addressed it to. It's in the it's in the blue book file, so it might have been to somebody there. But he drew uh, the inverted V, and he drew two lines between the legs and one line over the top, which is not quite the same thing as that. And that's the closest we've come. Every time you find these symbol represented in the file, it's represented with the arc and the arrowhead type thing and the line underneath. Um, there are there's that sort of thing. I think in well, in, well let's 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 before we go too much further. Let's explain to listeners that may not be as up to speed on the case as some of our longtime listeners and describe the scenario of why we even have two different versions of the symbol. Uh, why don't you go in and, and, and give your, your particular um, um, explanation for that, and then uh, maybe, maybe Jane and I will have a comment. Well, before well, we do that, we're going to have to split for a couple of pieces of business. But if you want to avoid the pieces of business, by the way, you can subscribe to the PowerCast Plus and get the version free of network ads. Go to plus.thepowercast.com. That's plus.thepowercast.com. We've got Kevin Randall, author of Encounter in the Desert. With Gene and Chris, you're in the PowerCast. Okay, I'll admit it. I'm not a cook. Not even close. But after a close encounter with HelloFresh, I might just be ready to change my tune. You see, HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that makes cooking more fun and a whole lot easier. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions. These recipes are designed so you can cook a nutritious meal in just 30 minutes flat. HelloFresh gives you fresh ingredients precisely measured to the exact quantities you need. And can you imagine me cooking Japanese panko chicken? Well, I did, and Barbara was really impressed. Really? HelloFresh delivers everything right to your front door for less than $10 per meal. And as a Paracast listener, you can get $30 off your first week of deliveries. Just go to HelloFresh.com, use the offer code Paracast30. Kiyosaki, Rogers, and Schiff all concur. There's an economic calamity that will be facing this country. My question to you is, do you know when and are you prepared? Most people don't, but my friends over at Republic Monetary Exchange have been leading experts in precious metals to help you offset the coming economic collapse. Right now, for a limited time, they have a free book called The 10 Reasons You Should Own Gold. You simply need to give them a call at 888-772-2929 to get that in your hands. Do not allow the insiders to do what they did to you in 2008, putting your IRAs, 401ks, and savings in jeopardy. You need this book, and you need it now. The 10 Reasons You Should Own Gold. Call 888-772-2929. That's 888-772-2929. There's a reason that the largest investment banking company in the world, J.P. Morgan, just purchased another 50 million ounces of silver. This free book will explain it. 888-772-2929. This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com, just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com. 
Investing is a long-term process. How many times can you think of in the last decade that the stock market has destroyed retirement funds for people just like you and me? For your existing IRA, you need the security that gold has provided for centuries. Remember, gold has never been worth zero. Capital Gold would like to introduce you to the Home Storage Gold IRA. It's a self-directed IRA set up with all the protection and tax benefits of an LLC. But the big difference in this IRA is you invest in gold and you hold it in your possession. You can't do that with stocks. That's security. You can transfer any type of IRA hassle-free in days. Please call right now and learn more and we'll waive the $500 setup fee and give you a free safe to store your gold. 800-535-7789 800-535-7789 800-535-7789 That's 800-535-7789 The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So Chris raised a point for Kevin Randall to follow up on as we continue with the new investigations into Sicaro, New Mexico. Kevin? If you go to the April Bulletin from May 1964 and you read what Holder had to say and what Burns had to say, uh, Holder suggested to Zamora and others that they not release what the exact symbol was because that way if there were copycats or people coming forward and said, yes, I saw the object, and they could ask him what the symbol looked like, they wouldn't know because that information had been withheld. The Lorenzen thought that was a good idea. And I point that out because I think I think one of the things, well, I'm not going to say that. I'm not sure about that. Um, there was this story that the Air Force had suppressed what the symbol looked like. Hynek denied that. And, and the truth of the matter is the Air Force wasn't the, the entity that said that. It was Holder who was Army suggested it. And he suggested it for what I think is very good reasons. And the Lorenzans agreed. The other thing is Burns suggested that Zamora not mention the figures that he had seen because that would open him up to ridicule by other people who would think he was crazy and drunk at the time when he made the observation. So the uh, the story came out that either there wasn't any aliens seen there, or there were just some white color walls in the distance, and he couldn't see any sort of features at all. He just sort of saw these white coveralls in the in the distance, and, and this was all designed, I think, not to suppress the information, but really looking to save Lonnie Zamora some aggravation from people who wouldn't believe that he'd saw the alien creatures, and to kind of. Uh, pre- provide a way of people or for, for them to uh, determine whether or not people had seen the same thing that Lonnie had seen with the same symbol on it. So the suppression of the information, and I, uh, there has been some discussion in various places about it being a conspiracy by the government to hide the information. I think it was more of really them a, 
these two entities who are government representatives, an FBI agent and an army officer, to, um, to help out in the investigation rather than suppress information. The other thing is within a couple of weeks, a few days of this, Lonnie Zamora had gone to the city attorney to talk about the sighting because he wanted to make, make sure that he wasn't going to get into trouble for any of this. And he described what he had seen. And in the room was a, um, a paralegal named Baca. And his son was something of an artist, 14-year-old Ricky Baca. And so they described exactly what Zamora seen. Baca drew the, the object. And Baca's father took it back to the uh, uh, city attorney and, or to Zamora. And Zamora looked at it and said, yeah, that's basically what I saw. And then he directed... Um, Baca's father to draw what the symbol looked like on it. When you see that picture from the Socorro newspaper, the symbol's not on it. But if you go back to the May 1964 April Bulletin, that picture is actually printed in the um, April Bulletin. So you can see the symbol on it is, is, is well there. So you've got a drawing of exactly what Zamora saw based on Zamora's descriptions of what he had seen with the symbol on it. Uh, and, and it gives you kind of an idea of what's going on. Ray Stanford actually sent a letter to Dick Hall with that same symbol on it, saying this, if you see the symbol, the, the arc over the arrowhead symbol, that's the real one. And if you see something else, that's a hoax. He reversed himself when he wrote his book. Mm, interesting. Well, the Heineck also, I think it's in an interview on the Donahue show, he mentioned that the symbol was the inverted uh, triangle with the, the three lines I'm, I'm not, it's a, it's a video interview somewhere. I'm not sure if it was the Donahue show one, but I think so. At some point, Heineck came around to that the, the inverted V with the three lines, so it was printed in newspapers. And I found newspapers from around the country that had that in it. But it seems that all the participants in the investigation, whether it is Holder or Burns or Zamora himself, go with this other symbol. Heineck, for some reason, came up with this other thing and, and, and Ray Stanford. I mean, there's a letter that he wrote in May of 1964 to Dick Hall explaining the two different symbols and the one, the symbol with the arc over the arrowhead, that's the correct symbol. And he says in the letter, and if you see the inverted V with the three lines through it, that's not the right symbol. In his book, he's got it uh, reversed. I believe, and, and there's other documentation in the Project Blue Book files created at the time. Not only did Zamora draw the symbol twice for the Blue Book files and sign it both times, but there is other letters and reports in the Blue Book files with that symbol in it, in the, in the reports, uh, nobody really has the inverted three V with the three lines through it until you get to the unofficial file. And that, that's another whole story. Um, Carmen Morano, and if you go to the last picture, I think, of, of uh, Quintanella and the Blue Book staff, it, it, the Blue Book offices. You've got Quintanella sitting at the desk and they got the secretary and you've got Sergeant Moody there and there's an officer standing just off to off the uh, right-hand shoulder of Quintanella. That's Carmen Morano. Morano told me when I talked to him that when Blue Book was winding down, they were packing up everything and they were throwing away a lot. They were going to throw away a lot of files and things. And these were the personal files of officers who'd been there and other documentation that was not part of the official file. Morano kept it. He thought, you know, he didn't want it. He didn't think it should be thrown away. It should be kept. Rob Mercer was periodically searches, and this is hilarious, Craigslist looking for UFO material on it. And he saw that somebody had a box of 
of material from Project Blue Book uh, for sale. So Mercer called the guy. He said, yeah, I still have it. Mercer sent him 100 bucks. Guy sent the, the box to him, and here was a whole bunch of stuff from Project Blue Book. And in it was a 200-page document about the Socorro landing with, with photographs and all kinds of good stuff. Some of the photographs are in the book, um, so you can see what they look like. But in there, there were two cards. One of them looks like a, a, a um, taken from a newspaper, uh, you know, just written down from a newspaper. Another one is a neater version of the same, same thing, but that's the inverted V with the three lines through it. So in the unofficial file, you've got that documentation, but it looks to be, it came from um, the, uh, from the newspapers. What's, what's interesting, and I, and I want to I give Rob Mercer a shout out here, simply because he did a wonderful piece of detective work finding out where that box came from. He bought it from a guy on Craigslist, and the guy didn't know anything about it. He'd bought a bunch of stuff at a garage sale, some wood supplies or something like that, and behind that was this box. So he just he took it along with the other stuff that he had bought. He um, sent it to Mercer, who bought it. Mercer discovered who had owned the house and who, prior to the people who were living it there, which was Carmen Murano, and managed to track him down and found him found him and talked to him and, and Marano says, Yo, I got a lot of other stuff. You want it? And he said, sure. In that stuff that Murano sent him was a complete index of the Project Blue Book files. Now if you've you've gone through like 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 to the International Archives or you got the microfilm versions of the index, it's all been redacted. All the names have been removed from that file. I happen to have all the names of people who reported unidentified in some of the photographic cases like that. And I was able to do that back in 1976 when the files were declassified and sent to Maxwell. And a friend of mine, Bob Corden, and I went down to Maxwell and went through the index and we wrote down the names of everybody in the unidentified cases so we could put the names back in. But Mercer's got the complete index without the names redacted, which is a wonderful find. Uh, and he's got a lot of other stuff. He hasn't had a chance to go through it all. We are going to go through it all, or some of it, or a little bit of it. With Kevin Randall, more to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. $39.95 plus shipping and handling. Use discount code GCN and receive 15% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter and get your Bug Assault today. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. 
Are you still looking for that one iodine that you can really trust? A medical doctor-endorsed product that is backed by honest research and true integrative science. Then search no further. Go to NutraMedical.com for Dr. Bill Deagle's Nutriodine, proven time and time again to be the very best iodine available for you. Nutriodine is the only Tesla-activated monatomic plasma iodine in the world. It optimizes mitochondrial function and generation of new mitochondria from totally neutralizing the venom from a desert recluse spider bite in Southern California to eliminating malaria parasites reported by medical missionaries in Central India. Dr. Bill's Nutriodine is simply the most powerful healing formula there is. Nutriodine clears the body of all known pathogens, restores it to an alkaline state, and even promotes stem cell regeneration. Order Dr. Bill's Nutriodine today at 888-212-8871 or visit us online at Nutramedical.com. Attention type 2 diabetics. If you or a loved one has taken Invokana, Invokamet, or Invokamet XR or other inhibitors for type 2 diabetes and suffered amputation of the toes, feet, or legs, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. The FDA has warned that Invokana, Invokamet, or Invokamet XR and other inhibitors for type 2 diabetes cause an increased role in amputations of the toes, feet, and legs. If you or a loved one has taken Invokana, Invokamet, or Invokamet XR or other inhibitors, for type 2 diabetes and suffered amputation of the toes, feet, or legs, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Act now. Time is limited to file a claim. For a free consultation and free information, call Injury Help Desk at 800-475-7607. That's 800-475-7607. Again, 800-475-7607. Call now. This is an advertisement paid non-attorney spokesperson. www.injuryhelpdesk.com is responsible for this advertisement. Principal Office, Las Vegas, Nevada. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We are kind of in the weeds now, folks, focusing on all these details about the Sicaro case. But the one thing I wanted to just go back on for a second as we talk about this symbol. And it's less so of getting it right, and we'll assume it's now whatever it was intended to be, whatever Lonnie Zamora said he saw. Is there any commonality with any other UFO case anywhere where anyone saw a similar symbol? I couldn't find anything. 
I know that Ben Ben Moss and, and uh, Tony Angiolo had had done that research. If you go through the Bluebook files, you'll see that they they did the same thing at the time, um, trying to find a corporate logo or something that would match that. And that symbol has not appeared anywhere in a legitimate case that I can find. And so that's kind of by itself. And and neither version actually, uh, <laughs> whichever version you want to accept as being authentic, I, I haven't found either one anywhere else in, in the UFO literature. There's things that kind of match, sort of, maybe, just about, but there's really nothing that, that really is, is dead on for either version of the symbol. That is itself kind of weird. Are there any sightings of similarly shaped objects anywhere? Oh, absolutely. In the book, I go into other sightings in New Mexico at the same time, and some of them, there was one in La Madera, New Mexico, which is um, north... I want to say northwest of, of um, Santa Fe, maybe northeast of uh, Santa Fe, but it took place. Well, just directly directly north of Ojo Caliente and uh, right on the Chama River. Ojo Caliente, the hot eyes. I tried to translate the Spanish for them. The uh, sighting there of, of a landing as well, a similar type craft, which the Air Force wrote off as uh, a fire in a dump, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and the guy that reported it to the sheriff's office um, had not heard the, – the, the news about the Socorro landing hadn't made the big news yet. So it, he obviously wasn't influenced by that. But there are, there are other, other landing cases that kind of match this, this object and that sort of thing in the, in the area. There, there were a number of hoaxes as well at the same time. And I tried to separate the hoaxes from the legitimate sightings. There was one guy who claimed he had fired six – I mean, 12 or 18 rounds uh, from his pistol at uh, a UFO. And the sheriff went out and investigated and said, well, you know, the guy was really drunk at the time and uh, thought it, thought that was probably a hoax. And I kind of agree. It's just, you know, there was no crime committed. He was firing his pistol on his own land, so nobody cared. But um, there are other sightings in the area of similar type craft, some of them with names attached. There was one, and, and I'm, I go into detail in the book as well, um, that took place maybe three or four hours later, um, just west of Socorro, where they'd seen seen something in the, in the sky that resembled what Zamora had seen. So it happened within hours of Zamora seeing it, but it was maybe 50, 60 miles away from Socorro. So... Uh, you know, you've got it in the in the area. You've got it in the time frame, but you don't you don't have a direct connection to Socorro sightings. So there were sightings of a similar craft in the area at the time, and there's names attached to some of those sightings. They just aren't as exciting as as the Socorro sighting because you've got the object landed. It's left landing traces. It's burned the um, partially burned the landing site. Uh, you've got the two alien creatures. Uh, the other sightings are, are mainly of the craft in the sky, and so they're not quite as exciting as the Samora case. But what about that same kind of object in other places? You can look through the UFO literature and you can find similar objects being seen. And I think it's always a matter of perspective. If you go to the Leveland case from 1957 and you're looking at that, you know, people talked about it being torpedo shaped or it's sort of a teardrop shaped or things like that. And I always thought it was a matter of perspective that they saw the object, that if you saw a cylindrically shaped object sort of at a 45 degree angle, it would look a little bit different than if you saw it dead on from, from one end or the other or you were standing perpendicular. 
perpendicular to it. You could get the impression of it being different shapes, although it's the same object, it's a matter of perspective. And I think when you look at uh, some of the sightings that we have for in the decades afterward, you've got objects that are quite similar to what Zomora saw, but it's always a kind of a matter of perspective if you want to cut some slack for people like that, seeing it from, from a slightly different perspective. I actually had a sighting of a giant flying chicken egg, March 27, 2005. Did you take photographs? I ran inside to grab my camera, and by the time I got out, it had gone out of sight over my house. I wish I had. That was a chicken or egg problem. Well, there were six other witnesses that saw it uh, from directly above them. Um, I saw it from probably two miles away. It was about 1,000, 1,200 feet up. I had just gotten brand new contact lenses. Um, I had 2015 vision. Uh, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, and one end was slightly pointed, like a chicken egg. The other end was was rounder. No um, wings of, you know, fused. You know, it was just a chicken egg. <laughs> I estimated it was about 30 feet long, and um, the people in the canyon said it was longer, 40 uh, to 60 feet. They thought. And they were they were closer. It flew directly over over them. So I'm not sure who who was right, but uh, it was unmistakable. Um, it moved with a slight squirting motion. It wasn't going very fast. Only 70 miles an hour, maybe. I figured. Um, again, it was just maybe slightly under two miles away. Arguably my best daylight sighting, and I've had a few. And I, th- I think a lot of times when you get the discrepancies of multiple witness sightings, that it is all a matter of perspective. In Level Land, yeah. you had people at 13 different locations seeing the thing, and, and they're, they t- talked about an egg-shaped craft, and they talked about a cylindrically shaped craft. And I think it's a matter of perspective. I don't think that is sufficient reason to reject the sighting, saying, well, they didn't see the same thing because it looked different, and are you saying it, it morphed into an egg-shaped object? No, I'm saying it's from, they saw it from a different perspective, and it's at night, and the thing is glowing. So clearly, if you see it from a different perspective it's going to look different to you um and and i think i think that that looks uh, a lot about that i think it's um ted phillips who had done the catalog of landing traces and i know he told me at one point that if you describe the landing traces he could tell you what the object looked like and i thought that's a wonderful piece of information because it suggests some sort of repeatability that that people seeing the object are seeing the same sort of thing over a matter of years and that the landing gear is something that is uh, consistent from craft to craft i mean if you see uh, lonnie zamora saw four landing gear other people have seen a triangle a uh, triangular shaped tri- uh, landing gear it gives a, a, a different propulsion but 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 phillips had said that you could, he could tell you what the craft would look like based on the landing, landing impressions, and I think that's an important piece of, uh, of investigative information. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's you know now that we're talking about physical evidence here, let's let's get in and talk about what exactly was left behind uh, by the object at Socorro. Um, there seemed to be a footprint footprint impressions of small feet. There was uh, a bladed metal scraped off uh, onto a rock, which was, um, I think, discovered by Stanford, um, and also uh, burnt Chico bushes. Ray also uh, collected pieces of paper uh, from the Arroyo that seemed to have microscopic, very well-defined burn marks, uh, circular burn marks in them. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I think the important thing 
is the landing gear impressions. There were four of those. And according to the compression test made by the, by the military, it showed something that was very heavy had been had set down on the ground there and the landing gear had uh, created impressions in the ground it wasn't an excavation it was something that had been pressed heavily into the ground so that kind of rules out part of the hoax scenario because you had to have something very heavy sitting there to to do that and philip glass had done something that really kind of made me laugh in one of his books he had a um, like a Brillo pad with knitting needles stuck in it. And he had, he had laid out on a flat surface the uh, shape of the landing gear, and it was very asymmetrical. And they said, you know, who would build a craft with this asymmetrical landing gear? And I'm thinking, alien creatures? More possibilities with Gene and Chris and Kevin Randall. You're in The Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. Hello, Mr. Anderson. The NSA has noticed how much time you spend on conservative news sites. We have no choice but to consider you a domestic terrorist. Tired of your internet activity being monitored by Big Brother? Get VirtualShield.com, the world's easiest to use virtual private network. Browse the web anonymously, leaving pesky advertisers and spies in the dust. Get started today at VirtualShield.com. Take advantage of our free 30-day trial. VirtualShield.com. You have the right to remain private. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. 
Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA Pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we're looking over the Sicaro, New Mexico case, and Kevin Randall describes it all in a book called Encounter in the Desert. We're looking now at the landing traces. Now, the pieces, this piece of metal that Ray Stanford recovered, any of this other stuff, anything look unusual or was it all conventional? Let let me get to that in my own bizarre way. That sounds bizarre. Because I want to go back a minute to Philip Class's Brillo pad. And what I (laughs) want to Philip Class and Brillo pads, I understand there's a peculiar relationship. But I wanted, I just wanted to say, you know, he laid it out on a flat surface. He did not compensate for the terrain. And when you compensated for the terrain, the act, the landing gear was actually symmetrical. Is all I really wanted to say about that. Yeah, yeah. And and, yeah, and it so was on a slight slope. You've got to look at those sort of things when you're doing it. So this this is important. And 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 the impressions. There was a burn bush underneath the flame that came out of the object, which knifed into the ground. Zamora said it wasn't like an exhaust from a rocket that would that would hit the ground and then flatten out and splay along the ground. He said it went right into the ground. And the important thing is, there it only burned one half of the bush. Uh, one side was was smoking, uh, the other half wasn't. And I think Chavez said that they went down, and when he touched the bush, it was cool to the touch. It wasn't like something had been bur- burned. There was no evidence of accelerants, and the the Air Force tested for that. Holder took. Um, samples that very night. Holder, Captain Holder took samples that night. One of the questions I had asked was what happened to those samples and nobody seemed to know. And going through the Blue Book files, I found out what happened to them. He gave them to Hynek. Those samples were taken to um, the Air Force labs and they found no no evidence of accelerants on the ground. So they had nothing. They, did, they couldn't say what had caused the burning. There was no chemical residue there that they could identify. And, and, and that's an, an important point as well. Um, well, especially if you look at the the, the recent um, Anthony Bergaglia claim that uh, fireworks were used and this was a hoax with a balloon, 
Um, that kind of negates that particular scenario. I was going to try to ignore his hoax scenario because it just really doesn't hold much water. But we can we can go there in a minute if you if you so desire. The other thing is Ray Stanford was there within days of the sighting. He got there, I think, on the same day that Hynek did. Um, Hynek got there on Tuesday evening. I think Ray got there on Tuesday evening. He was he got there later in the day. Hynek went out or talked to the the people that night, Tuesday evening. Ray didn't. He he had an interview set up with um, Lonnie the next morning, or the Wednesday morning after the sighting. The the sighting took place on a Friday, if you want to keep the the day straight. The first time he called, I think they said that uh, Lonnie was asleep, and the second time he called, Lonnie wasn't there. So Ray went to the police station, uh, found out Lonnie was out on the landing site. He went out there. The police were going to chase him off, but Heineck said, no, let him stay. So... Ray had brought materials, uh, envelopes or jars to collect samples, and Heineck asked him for a couple of those. But Heineck really didn't need it because he had he had ham- so so Holden samples. I don't know why I can't say Holden samples for uh, analysis. But while they were there, Lonnie pointed to some metallic res- residue on one of the rocks there, and nobody seemed to be interested but Ray, and. Um, they all then left to go to a radio interview, and it was in Hynek's hotel room or somebody's hotel room. And Stanford is there kind of <laughs> you know, dancing around, wanting to leave because he wants to get back to the site where this rock is holding this metallic debris. Uh, when the interview was over, uh, he went back there. There was nobody around. He, he collected the sample, uh, collected it in newspapers, took it back to Phoenix with the idea of taking it to or, or getting the, the metallic residue. Uh, examined the mistake he made and he and he mentions this in his book is his doctor a doctor living next door i don't know if he what sort of doctor he was uh, wanted to see it and they took it outside and he was looking at it and the, the biggest biggest piece of the metallic debris fell off in the grass and they spent hours looking for it and couldn't find it but there were still little smudges or little samples on the rock and they eventually took it to uh, Washington DC and with Dick Hall arranged for NICAP to take a look at it not NICAP NASA much more impressive having NASA look at it than ICAP for analysis. And then, then the story goes they off. Took, yeah, they took it to, to the Goddard Space Flight Center materials, yes. materials Division. Yes, yes, exactly. NASA as opposed to NICAP. But NICAP is involved because Stanford was NICAP and Hall was NICAP. Then there's a disagreement, and this all came out in the MUFON bulletin at one point. Ray says that, I think the guy's name was Frankel had uh, done the analysis and told him later on that he didn't know what it was. It was something really unusual. And then days later, Frankel is gone. And the uh, report was it was just aluminum or something like that. Uh, nothing nothing really spectacular. NICAP in its UFO investigator, which is their publication, and I think it's I think it's the September issue, but hold hold me on that. But there, there's a one, a couple of paragraphs on one of the pages in there that gives the analysis from Goddard, showing that it was nothing important. Ray maintains that in his discussions with Frankel, uh, he was at first told that it was very unusual. They didn't know what it was, and then. Frankel disappears from the story. Frankel is transferred out, and he can't get a hold of Frankel. Uh, Ray has no tapes of the conversation, which, given the time frame, uh, is not surprising. But he apparently had he has his notes from that conversation. So there's a lot of that stuff going on, and so you, and and, and that's the thing with all UFO cases, the really good cases, you get these these um, divergent agendas 
whether it's the Air Force wanting to prove there's nothing to it or NICAP wanting to uh, stay away from the, 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 the spectacular cases with aliens and all of that stuff because they feel it, 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 it hurts their credibility to the Lorenzans who are more accepting of the really bizarre cases. So, you know, you've got to look at all of that sort of thing. Um, did, did Ray tell you that he thinks he may have found another um, uh, uh, metal sample? There are talking to Ben Moss, Tony Angiola, and 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 Ray Stanford, there are other minute metals on the on the rock that they're gonna have try to get analyzed. And in today's environment, they can take much smaller samples for the analysis than they needed back in, I think it was uh, in the 1960s when they were doing the original analysis. So so you know the the technology is improved to a point where they can take much much smaller samples uh, and get some good analysis, and I know that there's a a fair afoot to 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 do that, and and I I, I look forward I look forward to to seeing what that has to say, mm-hmm. but that hasn't come to fruition yet. Also, the vitrified uh, crystals in the uh, rock samples too. That uh, it appears that the uh, the quartz uh, the glass uh, was was melted in the samples. There is there is some very good physical evidence that is in the possession of private researchers that suggests we might be able to gather something something more. The thing that always scares me about recovering samples, of, uh, possible samples of an alien spacecraft, however you happen to come into them, is that it's gonna, they're going to go to the al- analysis and say, yeah, this is aluminum, big deal. Doesn't mean it's not from an alien spacecraft, just means that the composition of that particular sample can't be... Um, a set is not of terrestrial manufacture. It, right. is, it is something common to Earth. So you, you can't say, ah, we now have physical evidence of extraterrestrial visitation because this sample cannot have been manufactured on Earth. And and it just kind of, um, I, I was going to say, it hurts the whole investigation because, well, yeah, they looked at it and it turned out to be aluminum. Yeah, well, that's all well and good, but... That doesn't mean it wasn't extraterrestrial. But to prove the extraterrestrial, you have to have something much more spectacular. And now that you begin to talk about isotopic ratios of, of the, the structure of the alloys and the structures of the metal, and when you get into that, then you might be able to get into something that is suggestive of the extraterrestrial. Well, it's a regular aluminum, except the isotopic ratios now is a little bit different than you'd expect on terrestrially manufactured metals. You know, right. I want to get back to this here. Because this frames the entire dilemma in the UFO field. We don't have evidence of extraterrestrial alloys or anything to go by. The problem that I see is that we've always had competing agendas. And I think that really kind of messes us up. And I don't care whether, you know, it's the Roswell case where you've got Stan Friedman and Bill Moore and Don Schmidt and Tom Carey and me. And we all kind of have our agendas um, that interfere with, with, with the investigation. And then you throw in the Air Force, which has its own agenda. And then you bring in people who want to be involved in this great event with their own agendas. And it clutters uh, up the landscape. And you know, I try to advocate that we need to get to the best evidence possible uh, to do that. But when you get to the really good cases, you always find this dichotomy and somebody is throwing mud at it. And it doesn't matter whether the mud is legitimate or not. And now we move back to Philip Glass and Tony Bigalia on the Socorro case. Let's Class- do that in our next segment, more about these two. 
almost having similar agendas, it seems, but we'll see. Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, you're in. The Bearcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. This just in. Before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com. Just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Quick reminder, we've had some terrific episodes of After the Paracast, part of the Paracast Plus in recent weeks. John B. Alexander and Micah Hanks and Paul Kimball. Boy, Paul Kimball unfettered uncensored said a few things that were not politically correct and after the paracast you'll find out more if you go to plus.theparacast.com for information we welcome your subscriptions kevin randall wrote encounter in the desert and he has some part of the book there devoted to the claims that the sicaro new mexico case might have been a hoax we start with philip class and we get to a more recent example of someone saying it was a prank by some college students. Let's go back to this. If you're going to do an investigation and there's allegations of a hoax, you have to examine them to give a, a completely rounded 
look at the case. Class claimed that when he was down there in Socorro nosing around, people had told him that it was a hoax and he needed to nose around. And and I mean, we mentioned Jerry Clark, and I hate to beat up Jerry Clark because he, he does wonderful work. And, and I find his uh, UFO encyclopedia a wonderful reference that gives us an awful lot of information, but it also is full of sources so that you get an idea of where Jerry got all the information. Jerry, in his book, even mentions this, that the land where the thing landed was owned by the mayor. And Class alleged that the idea was this was worthless scrub land, but if it was the landing place of a alien spacecraft, they could turn it into a tourist attraction. And maybe they'd build a motel there, and then there would be places to buy hot dogs and balloons and souvenirs, and the worthless scrubland would become valuable. So it was something cooked up between the mayor of Socorro at the time and Lonnie Zamora, which is patently ridiculous. But that was Class's allegation. Nobody bothered to take a look at the records who owned the land to see if this was true. And it turns out a guy named uh, Paul Hardin, who lives in Socorro, looked that up and discovered the mayor didn't own the land. It was owned by a family and had been held in family trust for years and years and years. The idea for a tourist attraction came about a year later. And the Socorro City Council thought, well, maybe this would be a way of attracting people to Socorro. You have to remember, Socorro was really kind of... uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and it really wasn't a tourist destination. Interstate 25 goes through Socorro now, and the people zip by 75 miles an hour. Unless they want to buy gas or they're hungry, so they stop and eat at a local restaurant, they stop and buy gas, and they're gone again. And so the idea was, we'll create this a tourist attraction and draw people into Socorro. Now they have the very large array, which I always call the whopping huge array, which is radio telescope out there on the plains of San Augustine, which is not that far from Socorro. So you get you get people coming in and out of, of like that. Point simply is, the mayor didn't concoct this with Lonnie Zamora to create a tourist attraction. The mayor didn't own the land. The idea was created by the city council a year after the landing took place, and it never came to fruition. So that idea is patently absurd. Tony Begalia began his investigation sometime later, and he was going through all kinds of documents, and he found a letter from, and I forget the guy's first name, his last name is Colgate, and he was a president of the um, New Mexico Institute of Mines and Technology, and that's not the exact name of the university or the, the college there, but it's um, a mining uh, engineering college is what what it is, or university. And he had sent a letter to Linus Pauling. And Pauling is the guy who was advocating vitamin C, for those of you who don't recognize the name, Nobel, Nobel laureate, which is the important point. And so the idea was Nobel laureate Linus Pauling was saying the Socorro thing was a hoax. Well, no, it's actually a letter from Colgate to Pauling. So Pauling is irrelevant to the story. Colgate wasn't there in 1964. Uh, it was another guy whose name escapes me, but that, it, it's all in the book as well. Heineck knew the guy, talked to him about it, and he said, no, it's not a student hoax. And I'm thinking, you know, if it had been a student hoax, this guy would have told Heineck on the sly it's a hoax. Heineck looked for evidence of a hoax, looked, wanted to believe it was a hoax. This was before Heineck had his change of heart, and this is one of the cases that caused him to have his change of heart. Uh, Hector Quintanella, who was the uh, chief of Project Bloom at the time, in his memoirs said, I looked at everything. I wanted to solve this case because it would be such a boon to the UFO clubs that we couldn't identify what it was. 
and he had uh, clearances to go to Alamogordo and White Sands and look at all their classified projects to see if it fit in. He had a briefing on the lunar lander and all of that stuff. He said he couldn't find an explanation for it. He was he had to label it as unidentified, which he didn't want to do. If there had been the slightest taint of a hoax, uh, Quintanella would have jumped all over that. I think Heineck at the time would have jumped all over it. Right now, we're, we're still into the process where, where Tony is absolutely convinced it's a hoax and he's talked to some people who were involved in the hoax he claims but he doesn't release the information he doesn't release the names some of the things that he has said uh, about this don't track with with the evidence zamora supposedly was a police officer disliked by the local college students and the high school students gee there's a strange situation people that he's given tickets to were annoyed at him wow i'm surprised it doesn't make any sense. How do you drag Samora into this? Samora, at the time the event began, he was chasing a speeder in Socorro and heard the roar and took off to it. There's no way that a group of hoaxers would have staged this thing that's not in view of the highway, not in view of Zamora, and hope to suck him into this. It's just a preposterous explanation, and the evidence is very, very weak. And I, I look at the, the investigation that was taking place at the time by the people qualified to it, what their motivations were. Heineck would have loved to hi- find a hoax. Donald Menzel, the great debunker, the great skeptic, had suggested hoax to Heineck. And Heineck said, no, I could not find any evidence of a hoax. We looked for that sort of thing. So I think the ideas uh, that it was a hoax uh, aren't true. But if you want all the details of what Tony says about the hoax, I put them all in the book with the references so that you can take a look right. at that yourself. Well, the, the one thing that's that's uh, important to note is the weather during that day had the object uh, leaving the landing site upwind. And there was this uh, a fairly stiff breeze that day, and the the hoax idea is reliant on the on a large balloon with pyro, some sort of pyrotechnic display uh, on the bottom of it, which um, would have been impossible with the um, weather conditions on uh, during that day, which which are, are fairly well established, I think, in the uh, in the files of the of the investigation. I, I would say absolutely because Heine, not Heineck, but Class claimed that there was a guy living uh, a few hundred feet away from the landing site who was home at the time and said, "Well, I didn't hear any roar, I didn't see anything, nothing was going on." There was, there was no houses that close, precisely. And the guy was downwind um, from from the uh, from from the landing site, and his story: he was in the house. The windows open, and he would have heard it. He said that uh, uh, he went outside, and he was looking up at this site. What motivated you to go outside? And he saw no activity there. But but the the point is, from the point of the landing, that that site had people on it uh, until way late. Uh, Holder called his uh, deputy and got MPs out there to cordon off the area that night. The uh, state police and other people. Zamora and Chavez and a number of other people whose names escape me at the moment were on the site until nearly seven o'clock at night. And I looked up when sundown was in Socorro, New Mexico and on April 24, 1964, and found out that they left just about the time 
it would have been getting completely dark, but the MPs were there guarding the area. So this guy saying, well, I, I went up there, I walked aside, I didn't see anything. Excuse me, you didn't see the military there, you didn't see the FBI, you didn't see uh, the police there, uh, where were you? So this whole idea of a hoax and looking at it is ridiculous. They, they said it was a lunar lander being tested and it was being flown by a helicopter. Oh my God, could Lonnie Zamora not have seen the helicopter? <laughs> could he not have heard the damn thing? You know, that was a thing that was a thing flying helicopters in Vietnam. We were very aware of the sound they made because it would alert the enemy that we were coming uh, and, and they would be waiting for us with their weapons. That's why we tried to fly low uh, at treetop level, because by the time they heard us coming, we were gone. You know um, something but- here. Maybe you were developing a silent helicopter. No, that's not it. You know, not at all. When but, a helicopter passes overhead here, I don't see black helicopters, folks. I know it's there. Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, you're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change? See them at 5starsoap.com or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Cal Ben Soap Company can save you thousands of dollars and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoap.com or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Actual testimonials from real Numana customers. I've tried all kinds of food storage, and Numana is by far the best. I'm a single mom with two teenage boys and a full-time job. I don't always have time to cook a four-course meal. That's where Numana has been such a blessing. I can spend less time in the kitchen and more time on what matters most, like helping with homework. Find out for yourself. Order online at thepowermall.com. That's thepowermall.com. Numana is... Thepowermall.com. If some high-pressure salesperson twisted your arm into buying a timeshare, it's not your fault. 
Whether you bought decades ago or days ago, I bet that salesperson didn't mention your timeshare could cost you twice as much as a regular vacation, or that you'd never be able to use it when you wanted, or that your fees could shoot up every year. They misled you, and that's not fair. That's why we're here, to get your timeshare company to free you from your unwanted timeshare. Get the free information you need at 1-800-783-2959. We're the Timeshare Exit Attorneys, America's number one timeshare exit service run by real attorneys, not sales companies or middlemen. It was a salesperson who got you into this mess. Don't rely on a salesperson to get you out. We've got a 100% service guarantee, and our team has already helped thousands of people get out of unwanted timeshares. For free information, call 1-800-783-2959. That's 1-800-783-2959. 1-800-783-2959. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest price filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, so it probably wasn't a hoax in any way that we can determine. It certainly wasn't a helicopter bringing over a lunar lander. Just for the heck of it, in some place in New Mexico, they had nothing better to do. Let's just carry that lunar lander. Is there any possibility, Kevin Randall, that maybe there was something conventional involved, some kind of test aircraft? Quintanella, who was the chief of Project Blue Book and had a top seeker clearance, went to New Mexico with a letter to the various base commanders and the various security people, the intelligence officers, saying, I have clearance to look at everything, all the black projects you guys got going on, classified projects. He could find nothing. And he talks about it in his own uh, memoirs. And I quote extensively from the memoirs in the book, so you can see exactly what Quintanilla had to say about this sort of thing. He could find absolutely nothing, and he was very disappointed. He was sure that he would find something. The lunar lander... um, Flying under its own power didn't fly until months after this took place, as I understand it, and then it was on the West Coast. It wasn't in New Mexico. What they were testing in New Mexico was a mock-up of the lander, and it had to be moved around by helicopter, which is why I made, made the comment about that. But according to the logs from White Sands Missile Range, where they would be testing this stuff, that test with the lunar lander took place in the morning, not late in the afternoon, off-range. And they wouldn't be testing the thing off-range. They'd be testing it in the middle of the range where they controlled the environment completely and totally. So, I mean, it's just nothing there to suggest that it was a hoax by anybody or a mistaken craft from a black project. And even if it was, by this point in time, we would know what that project was because anything developed in 1964 is pretty well out of date now and anybody who's bought a computer and realizes the moment you walk out of the store it's obsolete would understand that technology we developed 50 years ago for the uh, lunar landings would be horribly obsolete that as they say is that now Lonnie Zamora did he ever see anything else or was this the one and only time 
I think if Lonnie Zamora had one land in his backyard and he had movie footage and videotape and <laughs> photographs of it, anybody. he wouldn't have said word <laughs> one. He my was so, so just, oh man, he, he yes. regretted that till the end of his life. My friend Bob Cornett had gone, Bob had studied astronomy under Van Allen. I can say the same thing. I took an astronomy class when I was in college under Van Allen. But Bob's, Bob was uh, studying physics uh, under Van Allen, James A. Van Allen, the radiation belt guy. Um, and so he was going to visit the very large array because he was interested in astronomy. And that's in Socorro, which is why I bring that up. But he called Lonnie Zamora. Uh, and this would have been in the 1970s, I think it was, called Lonnie Zamora. And Zamora said, <laughs> Zamora said, well, we're having a barbecue and you can come out and visit me, but we're not talking about flying saucers. So Zamora was very reticent to talk about it. Paul Hardin, who lives in Socorro, knew Lonnie Zamora very well, had uh, said that Lonnie Zamora just wouldn't even talk to him about it. He just didn't want, to, want anything to do with flying saucers. So, as I say, if it had landed in his backyard and he had all the evidence in the free world that he could, that he could have needed, he wouldn't have said a word. Did it affect his status at the police department? There, the, the rumor is, yeah, it did. And, you know, people made fun of him about that. But if you go and read his obituary, which I did, he stayed in the, the police department for a number of years after that. And then he eventually uh, retired from the police department, took another city job and retired from that. He also was in the New Mexico National Guard and uh, just served a long time in the New Mexico National Guard. I think he retired from the New Mexico National Guard as well. And I know in the, the 60s, everybody was making fun of the National Guard. But in, in, in the 21st century, the National Guard has a much more a robust role in our national defense. And I remember when I was serving in Iraq as part of the Iowa National Guard, uh, we had a cartoon taped to one of the bulletin boards that had somebody trying to call the Iowa National Guard. And they were saying, uh, yeah, you need to call them in, a, in Iraq. Because at the time, by per capita, the Iowa National Guard had the largest number of people deployed to Iraq. And that included our battalion. And at one point, uh, it was like 80% of the Iowa National Guard was in Iraq. So, And we were there for a year. So the National Guard's role had, had morphed over the years. And it wasn't just this, this joke that everybody wanted to make it out to be in the 60s, but a very, very robust organization. And Lonnie Zamora served in it, I believe, for 20 years and retired from that as well. So, I mean, the sighting didn't cause him to quit the police department or anything like that because he stayed on for a long time after. But I know that there was some fallout from from the report and, and people sometimes making a little bit of fun of him about that. Well, if he retired from three jobs, does that mean he had three pensions? I don't know how the New Mexico State Employees Pension Fund works because he, he would have been a police officer and may have, been, may have fallen under the state pension em- or, or uh, a pension employee plan under the city of Socorro or the county. He probably would have had two, one from his civilian jobs and one from the National Guard, because they're independent things. Did he have a widow, children still alive? Yes, 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 yes. They do talk about, we'll talk about what what Lonnie's on, what he said. I think the daughter is is not at all reticent to talk about it. And I know a number of people who have talked to her about what Lonnie saw and what he said. James Fox, when he went down poking around about the case, he said they were very, very gracious and took him into into, um, view uh, the files that Lonnie had saved over the year, all the clippings and and stuff. And um, it was allegedly a 
an envelope with photographs that supposedly someone had taken. Um, I'm not sure of what, but um, evidently those were all gone. But um, James said that the family was very, very nice to him. And, of course, yeah. by, by then uh, Zamora had died. But Yes, and when I talked to James Fox, he told me the same thing. Yeah. So, so uh, and, and very gracious about that, and it told me about the pictures disappearing too. There is a possibility of another picture, but it was taken some six months later, of an object in the sky of uh, uh, object similar to what Zamora had seen. But I haven't seen the negative. I've just talked to people who've seen the picture, and and they're attempting to get to the original negative so that they can do a proper photo analysis. And I, and I say that that way only because I'm thinking of the Billy Meyer stuff, and I remember a letter that somebody had written that said, well, um, I, you know, looking at this second-generation print, I find no evidence of a hoax, and I'm thinking maybe you should take a look at the negative. You know, second-generation print isn't going to do you any good. You need to see the original negative, and the evidence of a hoax might appear there. And I think the guy understood that because he made it clear in the letter, you know, this is a second-generation um, a second generation uh, print that I'm looking at. So, you know, you, 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 need, to, you need to see the original negative, and, and uh, I understand they're looking for the original negative. So there you go. You know, just looking at a distance from this, we have, all these, we have all these wonderful sightings from the 40s, 50s, 60s. So we have this case here, and it's typical of what we had in the early days, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Going to the 80s, we had all these amazing UFO cases that obviously we have not explained, such as Sicaro, New Mexico. They run the gamut in terms of richness of detail, simultaneous radar visual sightings, occasionally a photograph or two, some extraordinary sightings that form, as we know, the core of the UFO mystery that has been examined and re-examined over the years. But there's a bigger question here. And I'll ask that question in our next segment. With Kevin Randall, Gene, and Chris, you're in The Paragast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com. Just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Back pain doesn't take vacations. It never celebrates holidays. It's on the job 24-7 to keep your life exactly where it is, in limbo. But it doesn't have to be that way because Laser Spine Institute can help you take back your life from chronic neck and back pain. With a less than one-inch incision, our minimally invasive procedures have provided relief to over 60,000 patients with a 97% patient satisfaction rate. So get ready to stand tall and live the life you've imagined for yourself without pain. Are you or a loved one suffering from a bulging disc? 
disc, herniated disc, spinal stenosis, pinched nerve, or degenerative disc disease? Call our spine care consultants now at 855-510-BACK. For a no-cost MRI review and to learn more, it's time to say goodbye to chronic neck and back pain. Call 855-510-BACK to see if laser spine surgery is right for you. That's 855-510-BACK. What have you got to lose? Laser Spine Institute, the leader in minimally invasive spine surgery. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, Hey, try this. Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2979-855-700-2979-855-700-2979. That's 855-700-2979. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So the question, the fly in the ointment or whatever, or is there one? Does it seem to you, as it seems to a lot of us, that the kind of sightings, the detail, the richness of testimony that we had in the early days, we don't see m- much of that anymore, do we? Carl Flock and I actually talked about this a number of times. And our conclusion was the aliens all uh, gathered, had gathered all the information they wanted and they've gone home to study it now. Kind of like if we did a field expedition, a scientific field expedition somewhere to find dinosaur bones and something. We came, we got our dinosaur bones, we went home to study study what we found. You know, Carl and I kind of joked about that frequently. 73? We, we, talked about, we talked about that we don't get the same kind of robust cases that we get, that we got back then. Um, there are exceptions. I think there's... Um, the, the Nimitz case that took place a number of years ago that um, 
Robert Powell was talking about, and and during during the interview I did with him on the creation of the Scientific Coalition of Ufology, and 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 it's a well known case. It's on the on the internet. I mean, you type in USS Nimitz UFO, and you can go take a look at that. I did something on my blog about it with a link to to. Um, um, a Navy report on it. So we, we get some of that stuff. And this was a case where uh, fighters from, from the Nimitz, fighter planes from the Nimitz intercepted uh, an object that was shaped like a tic-tac, which is similar to what Lonnie Zamora saw, by the way. It was seen on radar by a number of different ships and that sort of thing. So, And I, I think there's gun camera film of, the, of it as well. So there's a very robust case that we just don't have a lot of details because a lot of it's still classified and the people who are involved in it are very reticent to talk about it. And that might might fit into a, a point like we get with uh, with Zamora or with Roswell or Level Land or the the wave of 1973 that I, I don't know which one of you mentioned that moments ago. So we do have some of those cases, and it may be that we're looking back 50, 60, 70 years, so we, it seems like there were a lot of them before, but now we don't really have that sort of thing going on. So I, I don't know that... Uh, we may we may be seeing some of these kind of exciting cases. Yeah, plus very few landings. Yeah, but but it may be again a, a factor of people not reporting them. I, I think waves develop because there's a spectacular case that comes out in the newspaper, and then everybody seems to have a reporting point. Yeah. Oh, I've seen a flying saucer. Who do I call? It used to be that if you called the Air Force, they'd tell you to call the sheriff after the close of Blue Book. They'd, if you felt agitated about it or feel for, fearful by the sighting, call your local Air Force base or, or, or call the local sheriff, that sort of thing. And uh, I know Davenport, Peter Davenport has his uh, reporting center that gathers a lot of data. Stuff goes into MUFON. They talk about getting thousands of reports a year. So there, that's going on. But But I think it's the same kind of things we used to get. Uh, you, you look back at the Project Blue Book files and they're filled with all kinds of mundane things being seen by people who are unaware of what's going on in the sky and reporting those sorts of things. And, you know, we, we now see all the really good cases because we filtered out all the nonsense. And, and in today's world, we, we get a lot of the nonsense. We haven't had the opportunity of, I guess, hindsight to filter it all out. Yeah, yeah just go on the Internet and type in UFO and hit images on Google. Yeah. And the thing is that really is annoying to me, and I think many other researchers, is a lot of the stuff that pops up on those things, we've already debunked. And I say we've debunked it, meaning the UFO research. You don't even have to look at the skeptics debunking it. It's we've debunked it. We've found the flaws in this. And we said this case is a bogus because of this, this, and this. And uh, I don't know how many of the famous photo cases have been shown to be hoaxes or admitted hoaxes by the by the people who who made the photographs originally and about 99 percent of those were teenage boys so you know and the exception of that would be the lubbock lights the photograph taken by carl hart he was 19 when he took the pictures i don't think anybody really knows what he photographed back then so you, you've got to look at all of that and i think you know a combination of those two things maybe there's not that many robust sightings because they went home and maybe it's because we look at a lot of the the history through hindsight, and we can see a lot of robust cases there. And we're still filtering out the the nonsense for the robust cases in the 21st century. Right, but when Sakaro occurred back in 1964, and a few of us were around at that time, it was a big deal then. Yes, I remember Walter Cronkite talking about it. 
on the CBS Evening News, and I remember my neighbors telling me, did you see this, the report on the Socorro case? Yes, it was a big deal. And we still get those. You, you know, you've got uh, the Stevensville landings, which were a big deal. You've got the Chicago O'Hare sightings, which were a big deal. And uh, so you still get some of the big deal sightings. But, you know, Socorro was a landing with alien creatures. And you look at the O'Hare sightings, and basically you've got a craft over an airport leaving a hole in the clouds as it takes off. And the Stephenville sightings, you've got problems with the radar imagery and why some of the jets were in the area. They weren't really there intercepting the UFO. They were actually on a training mission. And so you, you, you've got to look at all of that as well. You've got to look at all of that sort of thing. But yeah, Socorro was a big deal when it happened. The uh, sightings in Michigan in 66 were a big deal when they happened. The Leveland sightings were a big deal in November of 1957 when they happened. The Washington Nationals. Washington Nationals, I love. These were the UFO sightings over Washington National Airport, Washington, D.C. And it resulted in the greatest headline that I ever saw in a newspaper. It's like right out of a science fiction movie. Cedar Rapids Gazette in July of 1952. Banner headline across the front page, Saucer Swarm Over Capital. I love that headline. It's just like you're in a science fiction movie. So yeah, there were big deal sightings, and we still have those, but I, I still think you know part of it's we're looking about it, about it at, in hindsight. And it may be that people are more cognizant of what they see in the sky so they're not making the reports they used to that, that would confound the whole thing. And the other thing is everybody's walking around now outside looking at their damn cell phones and they're not seeing anything in the sky. Well, the thing is, of course, they're looking down. And yeah, they're looking they're at their not, cell phone. I see this, of course, when I was doing some of my driving. And just today I saw somebody near the Boeing plant in Mesa, Arizona, and he wasn't looking down. He was looking straight ahead. But like in a fog, ignoring the traffic around him. And I figured he must have thought he lived a really charmed life and no car would actually hit him. They would just navigate around him or curse at him or something. The worst I ever saw driving down Interstate 80 was a guy with a DVD player sitting on his dashboard watching a movie. Driving down the road at 70 miles, 75 miles an hour while the movie's playing on his dashboard. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, nowadays it may be possible without endangering anyone. For example, latest Cadillacs have a special super-duper cruise control where if you set it and you can drive a long distance in one lane, I think they give you different interstates you could use, literally you can take your hands off the steering wheel and just sit there and drive, and until some condition changes, you won't have a problem. And then you well, could watch your DVD or whatever you want to watch. I wouldn't well, trust that. <laughs> well, A, this guy wasn't driving a Cadillac. And B, it was probably 10 years ago. So <laughs> he didn't have a car that uh, would drive for him. And, and I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm thinking that, that I would want to keep my eyes on the road just in case a deer leaped into my lane or something like that. Something unexpected appeared in my lane. You know? I, and I think had exactly one car with a lane change feature. And they started in luxury cars and they filter down to affordable cars now. So compacts with a few extra options will have it. And all I had was this clicking or sound it would make if I drifted slightly over the lane divider. And I thought, you know what? I know how to drive and I'll watch what I'm doing. I can't stand this. And I turned off the feature because some of these things can be downright annoying. But eventually there will be self-driving that is not annoying. In fact, 
near here in Tempe, Arizona. They're undergoing tests now with Uber. And they have this SUV with this silly gadget on top that does self-driving. But there's still somebody, an engineer, watching the system. We've got Kevin Randall, not about self-driving, but about UFOs and all sorts of things. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Barracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First game attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hello, Mr. Anderson. The NSA has noticed how much time you spend on conservative news sites. We have no choice but to consider you a domestic terrorist. Tired of your internet activity being monitored by Big Brother? Get VirtualShield.com, the world's easiest to use virtual private network. Browse the web anonymously, leaving pesky advertisers and spies in the dust. Get started today at VirtualShield.com. Take advantage of our free 30-day trial. VirtualShield.com. You have the right to remain private. It's a no-brainer. A Big Berkey water filter is the one you need, period. You need a water filter that removes chlorine, fluoride, pharmaceuticals, BPA, and other endocrine disruptors, pesticides, bacteria, viruses, and much more, right? And does it all at only two cents per gallon. Get the original most trusted name in gravity water filtration, Big Berkey. And now GCN listeners receive 5% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN. Call or click 1-877-99-BERKEY or BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Heart disease is on the rise. Clogged arteries, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol levels may not be fully detected by you, but the symptoms are there. Loss of energy, blood sugar spikes and drops, poor circulation, and irregular heartbeat are just a few of these that can alert you that something is wrong. Hear how heart and body extract is making a difference in thousands of people's lives across America. My blood pressure has normalized. My diabetes has totally improved. Everyone is telling me now how much healthier I look, and I'm 
telling everyone how much healthier I feel. I recommend heart and body extract to everyone. Anybody over 40 in the North American continent should be using this product as a preventative to keep their cardiovascular system healthy. Order your two-month supply today by calling 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online, hbextract.com. Heart and body extract, 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. The problem I see with the UFO field that we all have to possibly agree on is that it's entertainment to some people. And what prospect is there except for a few of us to really, really dig down deep and find an answer? Well, you've hit you've hit the nail on the head. It's entertainment, and Hangar One is a good example of entertainment. Well, a bad example, depending on your point of view. Yes, yes, precisely. When I was doing the book on Socorro, you know, you you, you think, well, you've got to write it in such a way that it's interesting to the reader, and, and he or she wants to go through it carefully. But by the same token, you want to be careful of what you say. You want to to keep the facts straight. And, and make a good case for this landing in Socorro, New Mexico. You're not really wanting to do entertainment. You're doing nonfiction, which can be entertaining, but you have to be you have to walk that fine line. You know, you don't interject. Well, Lonnie Zamora saying the two creatures uh, was so frightened by it, he whipped out his service revolver and took six shots at him. Uh, by the way, I just made that up. It is not true. For those of you who will listen to part of this and think, oh, Kevin Randall said Lonnie Zamora shot at him. I think people interject some things into UFO sightings. And I'm thinking of the researchers and the writers to make them more exciting, more entertaining. And we have to be careful that that, that doesn't happen. So where, where does Socorro rank in your um, list of most impressive cases? I think it's one of the top cases. I, I think it's very important. It was important when I thought it was single witness because of the physical evidence with it, but determining there were additional witnesses, even though we don't know who they are, I think makes it much more important. Looking at the documentation that was created at the time by the various people makes it very important. So you've got multiple chains of evidence for this for this thing, plus you've got a landed craft and you've got uh, the alien creatures being seen outside the craft. I think it's, it's very important for all of those reasons. It's a very, very important case. The only problem is... We do not have that one little bit of evidence that would propel us directly to the extraterrestrial. The observations, everything seem to suggest that, but we don't have anything that we can wave in front of the scientists as they say, this is alien, this is extraterrestrial. We just really don't have that. No. Well, it's really sad that uh, as time marches on, younger people that are getting interested in this subject are coming into the field and they're being tainted with all the internet hoaxes and the YouTube hoaxes and and some legitimate uh, misidentified natural phenomena and, and, and things of that sort. They don't really, they're not taking the time to become up to speed and and to really 
explore the rich uh, history of, of uh, UFO sightings and be exposed to type of researchers like yourself who really take the time to dig and present the information in an objective, uh, non-judgmental uh, fashion, at least <laughs> in a perfect world. And it's it's really sad, I think, that um, it's starting to really become part of our, our, our cultural mythos, really, uh, as opposed to part of our actual history uh, as demonstrated by good research and, and investigation. Uh, I mean, what, what can we do to, <laughs> to get kids interested in, in getting up to speed properly? The only thing we can do is try to teach them how to do proper research. You know, you, you look at something on the Internet and you find it very exciting. And, and the best example I can think of this is back when I was doing a, a lot of other research, I would go to newspaper archives and look up stuff. And one of the things I would look up is the 1897 airship. And I went to a newspaper, and I found this wonderful story of the, the, the airship landing in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the guys getting on board, and they were, they were signing affidavits and all of this about uh, how, how good it was. And the next day, I found another story about the thing having landed in Waterloo, Iowa. And that's great. I mean, here, there's an illustration, and there's people involved, and there's interviews. And it turns out there's an actual photograph of the thing. It's in, it's in uh, the book, um, the government UFO files. There's an actual photograph from this thing that landed in Waterloo, Iowa. And I go home, and I'm very happy. And, he, and I said, you know, I should have looked at the next day. And I went back to the, went back to the morgue, the, the library, the microfilm, and I was looking at the next day, and it turns out it's an admitted hoax. I had gone to the point where, wow, this is a great sighting, and it's landed, and all of this stuff. And if I'd stopped there, I wouldn't know that it was a hoax. But I went back the next day to see what the follow-up was, and they identified the they identified the people who were involved with it and all of that stuff. And it turned out to be a hoax. And I think that's the thing you have to do. You have to take the next step. You have to chase the footnotes. You have to go to the original sources. The original sources, not the secondary or the tertiary sources, but the original sources to get an idea of what really happened there. Well, and you bring up a really good point. Um, you know, for instance, the current craze of the secret space program and people claiming to be uh, chrononauts and traveling through time and being regressed back to the time when they originally leave and in all these kind of bad sounding science fiction, as far as I'm concerned. When you read articles about them or books by them, they're all quoting each other. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like a, it's like a circular firing squad in terms of um, you know trying to legitimize you know their claims by using the uh, highly dubious claims of others who are doing the same thing with their claims it's a vicious circle and, and unless you're paying attention it, it, it can it can seem pretty uh, you know pretty impressive on the surface well I, I do have to interject here that um, I think it was on the X zone radio show with Rob McConnell, he had on a, a woman who claimed that all of us who'd served in Iraq actually had been fighting uh, the aliens on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did, a, I did a blog posting on it. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, they, they had it set up so that the, there was a Walmart where we could order stuff and we would get there in a week, you know, they had some big Walmart and, and the, the time frame from, from calling home, you know, the time delay, that was instantaneous they had removed that and once we were finished our tour on mars we went through a big uh, warehouse where we could pick out souvenirs to take home to prove that we'd really been on in iraq as opposed to mars they enforced uh, uh sun sunbed uh sessions to to get your iraq tan while you were there you met up with that race of martian shapeshifters we did, and then, of course, when we came home, we were hypnotically regressed, or they used chemicals to convince us we had been in Iraq as opposed to on Mars. And by and the so- way, by the way, we're not talking to Kevin D. Randall here, okay? 
We're talking to the Martian Manhunter who has morphed himself into Kevin. He will change back to his green form very shortly. <laughs> Especially on Halloween. Well, that's the time they don't do it because they don't want you to suspect them, you see. And we have to be careful of the costumes we wear so we don't offend anybody. So okay, that's yes. why I can use the green Martian costume because it only offends the Martians and they're not in communication with us directly anyway, so who cares? They walk among us because they are shapeshifters and their DNA, when they change their shape, is identical to a human being. Yeah, but their little finger doesn't bend. You know, there is that, you know. It's <laughs> sometimes things about the way the aliens can't do this 100%. Shapeshifting well, doesn't work like it does in the movies. If you remember the old Invader show with David Vincent, that was the way they could tell the invaders. They did, their little finger wouldn't bend. Right. I didn't know if anybody picked up on that reference. But, I, I did, know. I did, yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you. It was rather obscure for uh, some of our younger uh, listeners, but it's, uh, I definitely remember that was, that was the, the only way you could identify them. Kevin D. Randall, where can we find more of the information you have for those who are not Martian shapeshifters? Well, there's always my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and that links to a lot of other stuff so you can read a lot of information. The book, Encounters in the Desert, about the Socorro UFO sighting is available online at, at Amazon and the bookstores and all of that. And if you buy the book, hey, do me a favor and write a review because that really actually helps us somewhat. If you enjoyed the book, put up a review, help me out a little bit, and I'll get an extra 25 cents or something. Hey, that works for everyone. You can find us on Twitter. Look for the Paracast. I don't know if Twitter is as popular anymore as it used to be. I think they admitted they were faking the figures somewhat. But check us out on Twitter. There are two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. And after this, there may be only one. One's a group, one's a community. We also have a special show called After the Paracast, where you never know what's going to happen next. Sometimes we extend the interviews with guests, and sometimes we have other guests we never know until it happens, and that's always something spectacular. And Kevin Randall will be back on this week's episode of After the Powercast. Don't miss it. We only offer it if you subscribe to the Powercast Plus at plus.thepowercast.com. That's plus.thepowercast.com. And by the way, we also offer a version of this show without the network ads with better quality audio. And you'll hear Kevin Randall move his earphone with pristine quality. There he goes. My ear itched. What can I tell you? They changed his name to Itchy Ears. Okay? Plus.thepowercast.com. Seriously, Kevin Randall, thank you so much for joining us on The Powercast. I enjoyed every minute of it, except for talking to Chris O'Brien. Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.